All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. It's good to be back. We uh, obviously made it safely back to Liberty from camp this last week. We took a number of teams, teens up to Eldora, Iowa, and just had a great time together, uh, a time in the, in the Word of God, focusing in on our preaching sessions out of John 3 and 4, uh, devotional times, just uh, obviously a lot of fun as well, playing games, but more importantly, I just really feel like the teens um, really did grow in their relationship with the Lord, and so more, more to come on that, but uh, thank you for your prayers, your support on that front as well. Um, it's good to be back. I know a number uh, of them are not here today because uh, some of them have come down with a, a little bit of a cold or something of that nature, so be in prayer uh, as that is certainly going around. Uh, it's also good to see Carol here. Uh, just continue to keep Bill in your prayers. Um, thankful for how the Lord is just progressively uh, allowing Bill to get strength in his body and things of that nature, but don't forget to pray for him. Not fully out of the woods yet, and not obviously home yet, so we just need to remember, remember Bill in our prayers. Uh, also, I just wanted to mention a praise uh, as I was at the door greeting this morning. Uh, Donna, uh, if you haven't met Donna, uh, please introduce yourself afterwards. She's been coming for a number of weeks now. It's always great to have her, but she just mentioned this last week she went and visited her 94-year-old grandmother in southern Illinois, and uh, so just wanted to mention what a praise that was that the Lord's continued to sustain uh, her strength and just allow her to have that sweet fellowship at that stage of life. So just continue to pray for her as well. Still independent at 94 years old. That's what a gift that is. So um, I tell you what, it truly is a joy to gather to worship. Uh, We've got many missing this morning, but I hope regardless of whether we have a full house or not, I hope your heart is excited Uh, to come and hear the word preached, to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ and honor the Lord uh, in gathering as we are going to look at this morning even from Hebrews chapter number 10. So if you will, uh, bow your head, close your eyes. Let's just go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Just ask him to bless this time of preaching now. God, we come to you. We just want to thank you for the joy and the privilege of gathering I know many had uh, challenges this week, whether it be through sickness or uh, just getting back into the grind of a work week, setbacks, surprises, discouragements, failures. Father, we know none of that took you by surprise. You're sovereign. You're on your throne. You're working out all things for our good and for your glory. And so, God, I pray right now in this moment as we submit ourselves in this time under the authority of the Word of God, I pray that we would receive it willingly, we would receive it gladly, and we would desire to obey it. God, as we look into your Word this morning and we see a better assurance, I pray that our faith would be strengthened, that our hope would be secure. And God, I pray that our fellowship would be sweet as we love one another well and for your glory. God, I pray for this time that you would use it in a mighty way. Change hearts, change minds. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, now in this moment, stir us up. Do the work that I could never do. We pray in your name. 
Amen. The title of this morning's message is simply A Better Assurance. Uh, just to keep those better themes rolling, uh, I thought we'd just, we'd just go with that. And uh, so I hope you will uh, entertain me as we, we keep that title rolling. But A Better Assurance. Here in Hebrews chapter number 10, we're going to take the next uh, three weeks to finish out uh, the remainder of Hebrews number 10 as we look forward to uh, Hebrews 11 and one of the more familiar passages of Scripture, the Hall of Faith. Uh, before we do so, before we get to Hebrews 11, God has much for us to learn and to understand here in the latter half of Hebrews chapter number 10 and some very familiar verses. And I just pray that this morning that our hearts would be encouraged. Uh, this message this morning is one of hope. It's one of, of faith. It's one of uh, encouraging one another in love. And so these are one of these messages that as a pastor, you, you really enjoy delivering because it's, it's a positive message as we look forward to the gospel's work in and through the church. Uh, next week is a little bit more of a challenging message. And so uh, I will equally enjoy it, uh, but it will involve maybe a little bit different tone uh, that this week's will have. So in this moment, let us enjoy uh, the, the glory of the gospel and let us just really cherish the opportunity that we have once again to consider Christ and to look at this better assurance. So in these few verses here in chapter number 10, we'll find some of the most beautiful descriptions, at least I believe, concerning the results of Christ's work in salvation. And Christ's work and salvation is certainly on our behalf. And so as we look at what Christ did for us and in us, we now start to get a glimpse of the author of Hebrews starting to turn towards some application of this text in this extended teaching period that started all the way back at Hebrews chapter number 4 and that will end here at the, the end of chapter number 10. It's really unpacking this idea of Christ as our high priest. And so he's drawing these conclusions and these thoughts to, to a, a, an end here as we consider Christ as our high priest. And he's going to focus our attention on the results, what it produces. The gospels were Christ's person and work on the cross of Calvary, defeating sin and death, raising again from the dead. What does that do in and through us? And as a result, what are the implications that the gospel has on our life? What should it look like for us to walk in that reality day in and day out? So we've been learning week over week that Jesus is better. And as such, we've seen Jesus as a better high priest, a better sacrifice, a better forgiveness. Pastor Dave unpacked a couple weeks ago a better covenant. And now we have this morning a better assurance. How is... This assurance that we see in Hebrews 10, how is it better? It's better because it's a confident assurance. It's a confident assurance that Jesus Christ offers for us when we place our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is confident. It is not wavering. It is not partial. It is a full assurance. It is complete, and we can be confident in the assurance that Jesus Christ offers through the gospel. So here it is in Hebrews 10, verses really 19, all the way through 35, through the end of the chapter. 
that our author uses the word confidence. So right away in verse number 19, then in verse number 35, we see this word confidence. And that creates somewhat of a bookend, and we call that in a literary device, that we call that inclusio. It focuses our attentions, and it bookends this teaching to focus in on this confident assurance that the author has in mind here from verses 19 all the way down through verses number 35. So we should see this text, and we should view it through the lens of confidence. Oh, it's interesting that the author points our attention to confidence because there have been a number of different warnings that have come in the book of Hebrews, and next week is another one, where it seems that the author uh, may cause questions concerning our hope, concerning our assurance. That is not the case. Our author wants us to understand that there are warnings and there are dangers of an incomplete faith, of a misplaced faith, and that ultimately if we place our faith by God's grace in the finished work of Jesus, that that work is done, it is complete, and the assurance, the hope that we have for all eternity, it is confident. And so I hope we can make sense of that as we work to uncover that in the next uh, few weeks. Confidence. This word is often mistaken in our culture. When you think of the word confidence, you may have somewhat of a marred understanding of that word because there are different pictures that this world that we live in paints concerning confidence, and oftentimes it is a misplaced confidence. And it is not exactly confidence, it's more that of cockiness. I think of uh, the arena of sports. We're about to kick off Uh, a new football season for us Kansas City Chiefs fans. We've been looking forward to that for a while. And uh, we're excited about the Chiefs uh, getting back on the field and defending that Super Bowl championship from last year. But oftentimes, there's probably no sport that has cockiness on full display more so than the game of football, right? Uh, Every time a play is made, there's some type of spinning of, of the ball. There's some type of Uh, external display of how great that was or some type of dance or uh, other things that go on uh, in the end zone. Uh, And it's, look at me, look how great I am, right? And there is an inflated cockiness about that individual. Have you ever come across somebody who has transitioned past confidence and has entered into the realm of cockiness? It's not pleasant always to be around that person, is it, right? There is maybe a misplaced confidence. There's uh, an overconfidence in maybe an ability or a skill that they may have. And so confidence, what is it? I can remember just uh, a few months ago, actually, uh, I had the opportunity to attend my first NBA game. Now, I've never been a huge fan of NBA, likely because Kansas City, we've never really had an NBA uh, team. So I didn't grow up watching professional basketball outside of Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan and some of these famous teams, of course, during the NBA Finals, I would tune in, of course, with my family. But I didn't have a team to follow, right? So this wasn't something that I was really super excited about until this last year, until the year of 2022, I now have a relative of sorts uh, that is, is now in the NBA. So here's the connection here. My mom's cousin's son, okay? That's a relative 
to some degree. My mom's cousin's son. I'm related to an NBA player, okay? That's all you need to know. Uh, And I'm not sure exactly what that familial connection is or if that's a cousin once removed, twice removed. I don't know. But regardless, I had an opportunity to connect with this relative and to attend a Memphis Grizzlies basketball game. Never been to an NBA game. Didn't really know what to expect. Um, And my mom's cousin's son offered tickets for me to go. I was traveling through there and, and made that available. Here's the deal. So he said, just come to the front desk and uh, we'll take it from there. Those were the only instructions. So I go to the front ticket desk and they say, well, go around the corner and go to this security guard. Well, I go around the corner to the security guard and there's literally hundreds of, hundreds of people in a line waiting for the doors to open. And he said, don't worry about the line. Just go all the way up to the front of the security guard and they'll take it from there. And so I'm passing all these people, and you know, you ever pass somebody in a line and they're not sure what's going on, and you know, you don't have the opportunity to communicate that you're supposed to be moving up, and so you're getting all these ugly looks. Have you been there before, right? I had a bunch of them. So I go all the way up to the front of the line. I say, my name's Eric Stanley, and they say, here is your pass. Well, this is a pass to um, this game, and I put it around my neck, and it says, family pass of Jay Claravia. And I get to go in before the gates even open. Uh, Because of this pass, I get to go down onto the actual floor uh, during the shoot-around, and I get to meet my mom's cousin's son for the first time. And uh, he had no idea who I was, but we got to connect, and we had a good time. I even got to go to the family and players lounge, of which uh, I was in a buffet line for free food. And I looked beside me, and John Morant is right behind me getting chicken fingers. And I said, hey, what's up, man? And he said, hey, good to see you. And so I got to talk with John Morant right there. And uh, not a popular figure in the news right now, but there, there, was, there was access, right? Follow with me here on my illustration. There was access that was provided to me. Why? Because of who I knew. Okay, if I didn't have this, this family pass of Jake LaRavia, I certainly wouldn't have been able to pass up these hundreds of people online. I certainly would have not have been able to go down to the floor and stand on the basketball court and, and talk with this, this player and uh, linger there during the shoot-around. I certainly wouldn't have been able to go uh, behind the scenes, back in this lounge, and, and eat this, this food and enjoy the fellowship and even talk with one of the star players on the team. I would have never happened. It happened, why? Because I had the proper access. And the proper access came because of who I knew. It was interesting that Jake's dad, my mom's cousin, I'm still trying to connect in my own mind, that's why I keep repeating it. Uh, My mom's cousin, I followed him around. He knew the security guards, he knew the personnel, he knew the staff, and you know, they would let him go right on past, and guess what? I'm right on his curtails going right behind him. I was confident because I was with this family member. He knew what he was doing. He knew where he was going, and he was supposed to be there. There was a confidence that I had in that moment that I never would have had had I not had the past and had I not been with that family member. In a similar sense, our relationship with the Lord, there is access that is provided to us spiritually, that gives us access directly to the God of all creation, God the Father, because of who we are with, because of who we know, 
And certainly because of what this individual has done, Jesus Christ, through the gospel. I simply point to the son and say, I'm with him. I know him. He knows me. He represents me to the father, and I'm supposed to be here. Not because of anything that I've done, but because I'm with Jesus. As we look at this passage, this assurance, this confidence, this hope, this faith, this interacting with one another in brotherly love, I wonder this morning, have you still been wrestling with your relationship with Jesus Christ? As we've seen Jesus Christ over and over and over again, week after week, do you know Jesus? And more importantly, does he know you? By grace, is he giving you the gift of faith? Are you trusting in him? Are you following him? Are you relishing in this beautiful reality that Jesus represents you perfectly before the Father as your great, merciful high priest? Confidence. This brings us to the big idea of our text this morning. Because we have a better assurance through Jesus, we can confidently look forward to Christ's second coming. Because we have a better assurance through Jesus, we can confidently look forward to Christ's second coming. At the end of verse number 25, it's going to reference the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For those that are in Christ, for those that know him, the second coming isn't something to be fearful of or to dread. It is a hopeful expectation. Something to look forward to as we are reunited with our Savior, Jesus Christ, for all eternity. So because we have a better assurance through Jesus, we can confidently look forward to Christ's second coming. So in our immediate text, we are going to observe three verbs that are in the hortatory subjunctive mood. You say, well, why in the world are you talking about the hortatory subjunctive mood? It's helpful in understanding how these verbs are positioned in this text. This particular mood is used to, in the present tense to express an exhortation or a command. So our three verbs are found in verse 22, 23, and 24. Verse 22 calls us to consider, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. And verse 24, let us consider. So it's in these three verbs that we will observe the three Christian virtues of faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. These are what will be produced. This is the result, if you will, of considering these exhortations from the author of Hebrews. So draw near in faith. Hold fast in hope and to consider one another in Love. With this context in mind, we're going to allow these three main verbs in our text to guide our outline. So as we work to unpack these beautiful truths, we're going to dive right in, and the author would first have us confidently draw near to God in faith. Point number one, confidently draw near to God in faith. It's important to note that before the author dives into these exhortations, beginning in verse 22, he provides some context that will serve as a basis 
upon which these exhortations will be deployed and understood in the remaining verses. So in essence, the author is saying, because of these realities, confidently do these things. So what are these realities? Well, we're going to see that knowledge of Jesus Christ, understanding of the gospel, and personal experience in relationship with the Lord is always at the core of confidence. If I were to ask, Justin's not here. This is in my notes, though. If I were to ask Justin to do a particular CrossFit exercise, I'm thinking of uh, one called a muscle-up, right? It's kind of a variation of a, of a pull-up on steroids. He's not on steroids, though, but it's just... <laughs> It's a difficult pull-up. Justin, I'm clarifying, you're not on steroids. We know you work hard in your fitness. So it, it's a CrossFit movement. If I were to tell, if we had a pull-up bar right here in the sanctuary, I'd say, Justin, come down from the, from the uh, audio booth there and do 10 muscle-ups. He would do that in a split second, no problem, piece of cake. Why? Well, because he knows, first of all, what a muscle-up is, Right? Um, some of us wouldn't be able to do the exercise because, first of all, we're not physically able, but more importantly, because we don't even know what a muscle-up is. We wouldn't know where to start. What, what do I do? What does it look like? What's the movement? Justin has the knowledge and understanding of that CrossFit movement and that exercise. Therefore, he could hop up on that bar and he could do those 10 muscle-ups, no problem. He has the personal experience in doing muscle-ups probably hundreds, if not thousands of times. And so a measly 10 muscle-ups, although would be very, very difficult, if not impossible for a lot of us, would be very easy for him because of his knowledge, his understanding, and his personal experience in doing that exercise. So knowledge, understanding, personal experience, it becomes the basis upon which these exhortations are going to be built. Here in verses number 19 through 21, the author of Hebrews reminds us of some important truths that we should recall and remember and know to be true about our great, merciful, and faithful high priest as we have learned week after week, chapter after chapter. So let's start in verse number 19. What are we to remember what are we to recall by way of knowledge and understanding and personal experience of the gospel? The author reminds us that we are to have a remembrance of what we know to be true about the high priest. The author would have you to remember the blood of Jesus in verse number 19. The would have you to remember the blood of Jesus. Do you remember this morning that Jesus has entered the heavenly sanctuary on your behalf and has brought with him not only the, not, not, excuse me, the blood of earthly animals, but rather he has brought with him his own blood through his own sacrifice that he secured and that it was perfect and it was complete and it was, it was better do you remember the once-for-all sacrifice of chapter number 9 and earlier right here in chapter number 10? We enter only by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so what should we remember by way of knowledge and understanding and personal experience? The author would have us to remember the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And friends, remembering Jesus 
And remembering what he has done for us on the cross of Calvary, that's not a a one and done type of activity. Oh, that we would wake up in the morning and preach the gospel to our heart and simply remember and reflect on and recall all that Jesus has done for us daily so that we can walk in these realities. So the glory of the gospel, so the hope that we have in our relationship with him, so the future hope that's been secured for all eternity can help us navigate the difficult circumstances of life. So although life may be difficult, although it may be discouraging, although it may be hard, Jesus has defeated death. The tomb is empty. And so what can this world really do to me? These temporal Afflictions, these temporal challenges, they pale in comparison to eternity. The hope that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You remember the sacrifice. We enter only by the blood of Jesus. Christian, this morning, remember that Jesus shed his blood once for all. He made propitiation for sins. He satisfied the wrath of God. He cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. He forgave our sins, and he offers reconciliation or restoration between a holy God and our relationship with God that was once broken because of sin is now restored because of Jesus Christ. Remember this. Glory in these realities. Be encouraged. Be uplifted. Verse number 20, because of that better sacrifice, There is now a new and living way, as the author describes it, that has been opened up to us through the curtain. With this tabernacle illustration in mind, the author reminds us of the curtain of the old way, the Levitical priest, the limitations, no access to the presence of God, but through the personal work of Jesus in the gospel, a new and living way has been opened up. So the author would have us to remember and recall that Jesus has gone behind the curtain as the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And his presence there anchors our soul with eternal hope. Do you remember chapter number six? Verses 19 and 20. Brother Ed, this is the passage you preached, correct? Chapter six, 19 and 20, I think it was. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So based on the knowledge, understanding, personal experience of these realities, we now have verse number 21. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, is verse 21. And so looking back to 19 and 20, remembering, bringing to recall, understanding, celebrating, remembering, lingering at these beautiful truths. These are foundational truths that should guide us, our hearts and our minds. It should inform our thinking, our reactions, our thoughts every single day. It is the gospel. And so verse 21 transitions into these three verbs, these three exhortations. Since 
We have a great high priest that has done all of these things over the house of God. So we look back all the way to chapter number four again. This teaching of the great high priest began there, and it's going to close right here in chapter number 10. But verse 14 of chapter number four stands to remind us of this high priest since then. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. A better assurance. A confident assurance. Friends, because of your knowledge and understanding and personal experience through faith in this high priest, Jesus Christ, we are exhorted in verse number 22 to do what? Draw near. The author is going to take great care in describing how we are to draw near. We're to draw near first in faith. We're to draw near in faith. Why, why is this important? Because the drawing near is an informed drawing. You're drawing near to somebody whom you trust. You're drawing near to somebody whom you know and remember and recall that has done a work that you could never do. I think of my relationship with my kids when my kids become frightened or scared, whether it be during the day or at night, really any time of the day when my kids become frightened, what do they do? They, they come run to mom or dad. Why? Because whether it's true or not, they believe that they're safe in my presence, no matter what circumstances may be happening at that moment. They believe that dad's going to make it okay. They believe that mom's going to take care of them. They believe that mom and dad are a safe place to run when they are uncertain about the circumstances that are presented to them. This is what our relationship with the Lord should really look like. Just as my kids run to me or run to their mom, they do it, why? Because there have been years upon years invested in their life, caring for them, helping them, picking them up off the ground, wiping their tears, putting Band-Aids on the knee, reassuring them of our love and support and care for them and so on and so forth. Friends, this is what it looks like to be in right relationship, not just in a familial sense, but even our relationship with the Lord. We draw near in faith. We look back and we remember how Jesus was faithful then. We look back and remember how Jesus provided and how he worked when we thought it was impossible. We look back and we remember these testimonies how God came through. It wasn't easy. It wasn't what I would have chosen. It wasn't the plan that I mapped out. But God had a plan and he, he worked it out for our good and for his glory. So we look back at those testimonies and, and we draw near to the Lord now in faith, remembering who he is, remembering what he has done, remembering that he has met our greatest need. He's resolved the problem of sin. And if he can meet our deepest need and resolve our problem of sin, can he not care for us today? Can we not trust him in this moment for what other struggle or, or fear or uncertainty that you may have in this life? 
The answer to that is a resounding yes. Because of your knowledge, understanding, your personal experience through faith, we are to draw near. Second, we are to draw near remembering our new identity in Christ. How are we to draw near? We are to draw near remembering our new identity in Christ. It should be somewhat familiar as our author provided similar instruction in chapter 9, verse 13 and 14. Do you remember it? For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We can draw near to God in full assurance of faith just as we must persevere in full assurance of hope until the end in chapter 6, verse number 11. Remember, friends, this reality. Our confidence to draw near in full assurance comes from the fact that our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. This is, this is a beautiful reality of what the gospel has done in our life. Because the gospel has worked in my life, because Jesus has done what I could never do, through the blood of Jesus, my mind, my heart, my life has been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. I have been justified by grace through faith because of Jesus. And that justification positionally means that as Jesus represents me before God in this moment, God the Father, through Jesus Christ, sees me, my heart, my mind, my life as if I have never sinned. Positionally, this is what justification means. I'm a son of Jesus Christ. I'm adopted into his family. I have that full assurance, that confident assurance of this reality, that I have a new identity because of the work that Jesus Christ has done on my behalf. And so I draw near remembering my new identity in Jesus Christ. Now here's the thing, Satan doesn't like our new identity, right? He wants to continue to label us as a failure, Sinner, of which we still are, but we're saved by grace. Satan wants to leap or heap upon us, excuse me, other titles. He wants to mar this identity that Christ says we have and that we can have full assurance and confidence in. Satan oftentimes, through spiritual warfare, tries to keep us in the past failures. That spiritual warfare, oftentimes, as Satan is working and tempting, and as he's causing us maybe to focus too much on our present circumstances, and maybe our faith wanes instead of trusting in God and looking to the hope that we have in him, we trust in our own way, and, and we start to believe some of these 
uh, voices that are going on, and, and we start to remember past failures, and those past failures define us in that moment, and before you know it, we have, uh, we've been crippled because we have failed to believe who we are in Christ Jesus, and we failed to walk in that present reality that we have a new identity in Christ. And friends, Jesus this morning would have you to remember your sins have been forgiven. That past failure has been paid for at the cross. And that payment that Jesus made at the cross was perfect, it was complete, and it is final. It is, it is done. It is finished. No more debt I owe. This is the reality that we have. We have a new identity. And so we draw near with that new identity in mind. Sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, this speaks to the transformative work of the gospel in our lives. This work described here is nothing short of a miracle of God. Regardless of whether you got saved late in life and, and, and you wandered deep into the pleasures of sin or whether you were saved at, at, at a younger age, everything in between, no matter what your profile or your rap sheet may look like, any salvation and every salvation is a complete miracle of God. And we were reminded of this as we were at camp uh, looking at this reality of being born again. John 3 and 4, it's a beautiful reality to think that God has chosen to save me. Remember this reality. Cherish this reality. Walk in this new identity that God has given you in Christ Jesus. Jesus alone is able to pay for our sins, forgive our sins, and to remove our sins. He alone can do this work, and it is on the basis of this reality that we are exhorted to draw near. Why? Because God desires you to be in fellowship with him. And the only way that that can happen is through Jesus Christ. And so we draw near remembering what Jesus has done. And we celebrate this reality that we are actually able to draw near and fellowship and intimacy with God because of what Jesus has done. This final phrase here in verse number 22, and our bodies washed with pure water. This phrase is um, not as clear at first glance. What is it referring to? Most scholars believe that it's likely referring to actually believers' baptism. This cleansing of conscience is received through faith, and it is visibly made known to others through what? The testimony and the ordinance of baptism. So then our author assumes that it is the normative process for every believer to identify with the Lord in public baptism. As our bodies are washed with pure water. Ever since Pentecost, back in Acts 2, it has been assumed that each believer in Christ will also be baptized and added to a local church. So then, verse number 22 let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So not only are we to confidently draw near to God, our author would have us 
Our second point, to confidently hold fast the confession of hope. Confidently hold fast the confession of hope. We have been exhorted to hold fast numerous times in Hebrews up to this point, have we not? Do you remember a few of them? Chapter 3, verse number 6, but Christ is faithful over God's house. Very similar imagery here and and language that's used here in our text. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Chapter 6, verse number 17. So when God desired, excuse me, to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 4, verse 14, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So this theme of, of holding fast our confession is not a new idea, and he continues to sprinkle it in here. Why? Why throughout this, this uh, teaching here of chapter 4 all the way through chapter 10, why does holding fast continue to repeat itself? Because our author knows that this life is full of struggles, difficulties, trials, setbacks, even persecutions at times. The author has in mind here then this idea of perseverance. He has in mind endurance. Both perseverance and endurance are gifts from God that allow the believer to persevere in the faith despite earthly setbacks and difficulties. Hold fast. The confession. Our hope is in Jesus. We're not holding fast in our strength. We're not holding fast in a white-knuckled fashion. We're not holding fast hoping that we can figure it out. We're holding fast to our confession, our faith in the gospel, our hope in Jesus Christ, who we know him to be and who we know what he did. And so that is what we hold fast to in the moment. Believer, do you remember Hebrews chapter number 7, verse number 22? This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Confidently hold fast the confession of hope. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Is your hope in Jesus, not only for salvation, but also is your hope in Jesus for your daily Christian living? Are you running to the foot of the cross? Are you mindful of walking in the Spirit? Are you thinking on these things? Are you putting on Christ Jesus? Are you putting on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand? 
Are you only living your life worthy of the gospel? So whether come and see you or absent, I hear of you that you're standing firm. The same gospel that saves is the same gospel that sustains. Our hope in Christ is not just for salvation. It certainly is for our sanctification, our daily Christian living. We are called to confidently hold fast the confession of hope. Our hope is not in us just falling across the finish line at the end. Our hope is in Jesus, who is the guarantor of a better covenant. Do you remember Ephesians 1? Verse number 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Do you remember Romans 8, verse 29? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Skip down to verse 35 in chapter eight of Romans. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, this is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And we can confidently hold fast. We can confidently hold fast the confession of that hope. Because it is rooted in the personal work of Jesus Christ. So then, we hold fast the confession of our hope. How? Without wavering. Why? Because we know who Jesus is. We know what he has done. We have the whole counsel of God. We know the end from the beginning. And if Jesus Christ secures us for eternity, he certainly will help us in this moment. So our hope is without wavering. Now, this is easier said than done, right? Circumstances of life are real. Trials and difficulties are real. Setbacks, loss, it is real. I think of the testimony of, of Peter, where Jesus Christ was taken and he's being persecuted, he's being tortured. The disciples scatter. Peter there in, in Luke 22 is at the fire. Others recognize who he is and say, hey, you're one of the disciples. And what did Peter do? He said, no, I, no, no, you're mistaken. I don't, I don't know the man. That happened not once, not twice, but three times. And ultimately, Peter denies Christ yet again, 
curses God and runs off into the wilderness. Was, was Peter holding fast to the confession of his hope without wavering? He certainly wavered there, right? It certainly was a failure from our view. But the hope there in Luke chapter number 22 is this, that Peter, excuse me, is called by Jesus, Simon. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he would sift you like wheat. Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you return, strengthen your brothers. So here's a beautiful reality that although our faith may waver, although our faith may wane, although we, we may struggle in the moment, if our faith truly is in Christ, he is praying for us. And he, Jesus Christ, will not allow our faith to fail. Why? Because he is faithful. We have no need to waver, although we do. We have no need to fear or fret, although we often struggle with this reality, because he that has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, do you believe that? I don't know where you're at when you came in to the sanctuary. Maybe you're struggling with sin deeply. Maybe you have failed in ways that really nobody knows and, and you feel like there's no way that God could love you. I point you back to Romans 8. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Nothing. Not even your own failure. This is a beautiful hope that we have. Friends, he is faithful. Therefore, by God's grace, hold fast, persevere, endure, have hope. Finally, this morning we're exhorted to confidently consider the body in love. Confidently consider the body in love. This is where the author begins to look outward. This inward work of salvation by faith through grace in Christ alone absolutely should have implications outwardly. Namely, the author reminds us that the gospel's, excuse me, namely, the author reminds us that the gospel's work in our lives should cause us to consider others. It should be no surprise, as this is at the heart of the gospel itself. Jesus in Philippians 2 is doing what? Considering others, leaving the glories of heaven, taking on flesh, giving his life as a sacrifice. Jesus, no doubt, is our perfect example because he showed us that considering others means that, they are going, that we are going to love others. And if we love others, we are going to make sacrifices for others. Do you remember John chapter 15? That beautiful text there in the Gospels, this analogy between the vine and the branches. At the conclusion of that text, we have Jesus sharing this with his disciples in verse number 12. This is my commandment, Jesus says, that you love one another. How? As I, Jesus Christ, have loved you. Verse 13, greater love 
has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. One commentator noted that perseverance is not a solitary achievement. It's not individualistic. Rather, it's a corporate calling. So we must consider each other, seeking to stimulate loving actions as as we meet together, understanding that the consistent gathering of the body of Christ is the primary means of fellowship. And so the author admonishes us to not neglect this gathering. And it's here that, that we are looking for more of the spirit of this reality rather than the law of this text. What do I mean by that? We've never promoted a three to thrive kind of philosophy of ministry here that you have to be here every single time the doors are open. This is, this is not our understanding of what it means to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. We understand that there's providential hindrances, there are sicknesses, there are seasons of life for whatever reason where you're not able to gather This isn't a a box that we're looking to check. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit and through the inspiration of the author of Hebrews here, is checking the heart. He's checking our, our heart. Do you have a desire to love the church for the glory of God? Do you have a desire to love others within the context of this body? Do you desire in your heart to gather with Liberty Hills Bible Church? Do you love to be with other brothers and sisters in Christ right here at Liberty Hills Bible Church? When you have an opening in your schedule, are you thinking about the brothers and sisters in Christ that God has brought together here at Liberty Hills Bible Church? When you have an open evening, are you thinking about, hey, I wonder if somebody's available that we could we could have over for fellowship or for a meal. Friends, I, I empathize with the challenge and the difficulty of hospitality. Opening up your home and opening up your dinner table, opening up your life and your schedule for the body of Christ is one of the primary means that God uses for us to grow in love towards one another. And so I wonder, do you love the church? Jesus Christ modeled the depth and the degree of this love. You remember Ephesians 5 and his challenge to husbands. He describes how he loved the church. He says, husbands, love your wife. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Through the example of Jesus, this is how we are to love one another. Sacrificing, giving of our time freeing up the schedule, desiring simply to be together. A final reason for this exhortation to consider the body in love is that the day is drawing near. What is this day? Pastor Dave unpacked this uh, quite well uh, in a a message a couple weeks ago and then kind of doubled down on this topic actually last week as well as uh, we were out at camp. 
But I believe in our immediate context, the, the day is drawing near, is, is likely looking back to verse number 13. When Christ's enemies are made his footstool at his return. The author then layers in this element of urgency. All the more as you see the day drawing near. There needs to be an earnest expectation. There needs to be an urgency as we engage. There needs to be intentionality and purpose in loving the body in this way. I'll leave us with Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2 as we close and ask the Lord to bless this time in our word. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love God and love others. We can fulfill the heart of the law of Christ simply by doing what? Bearing one another's burdens. Do you know those burdens? Are you aware of those burdens? Are you engaged in those burdens? Are you desiring to be fitly joined together? so that you can help and be a part of bearing those burdens for the glory of God. Friends, I wonder, are we confidently considering the body in love? As we consider this text, um, I know I've been challenged to consider my own time, my own schedule, my own engagement. Are you confidently holding fast to the confession of hope that we have in Jesus Christ? Despite what circumstances of life may be telling you, are you clinging to Christ, remembering what he has done for you? And then finally, the first point that we looked at, confidently draw near to God in faith, remembering the sacrifice that Jesus has made on our behalf. Because we have a better assurance through Jesus, we can confidently look forward to Christ's second coming. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we come to you right now. We thank you for this time. I know this message was a little bit longer, God, but I thank you for the opportunity for us to consider Christ once again and to consider our own lives and consider our engagement even within the context of the body of Christ. I pray that you would commit these things as we look forward even to uh, an Awana meeting to consider how we could serve even the next generation, the young people in our midst to love them well for the glory of God. God, I pray that you would commit these things for your glory, and I pray that we would simply obey them in all that we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.